1: 971 FM Talk
2: Podcast. So Fred is going to Miami because when I think, um, you know, vacation hotspots for Fred, I think Miami Beach. There's right? no doubt about that. But he's got a little family trip. You know, they, they've decided to do things. The kids are out of the house now. They went to New York for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade last year. Uh, so he's off tomorrow. But he asked me this question, and I'm, I'm curious. So his flight is at 5.30 tomorrow morning. Good. Southwest, He right? should
0: suffer just a little.
2: Okay, but— what time would you get to Lambert International Airport if you were flying out on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving?
0: Oh, that's a tough
2: one. I know. See, he said, I'm going to get there at 3.30. I'm oh, like, no, ah, that's too early. Ah, that's I'd Well, th- I know, but then I had said, okay, I said it was too early as well, but then I thought Southwest Terminal on a Wednesday, the busiest travel day of the year. I'm not going to take the responsibility of Fred missing that flight. I right? say four. I would get there at four. For a five? Well, you, you start boarding, though, at like 4.50. Yeah, I would still get Boy, there I'm i I'm, okay. I'm rolling the dice, Mark. I'm telling you that that's probably what I would do. Yeah. However— I'm not
0: saying we're bright. I've gotten
2: there. See, the last time I took uh, a trip early in the morning, we were going to Mexico about a year and a half ago, and I was pretty confident that everything was going to be fine because I had Clear, right? And I had actually signed up for Clear and on cl- a trip to Mexico. Here's the problem. Clear, which is, you know, they Go just scan the your line. eyeballs— they don't start at Lambert until eight o'clock, so on the early doodle. yeah, on the early flights, it didn't really And you know, Fred even mentioned this, like TSA Precheck, that, that line is longer than um, the regular uh, you line. You know sometimes. what?: Well, you're right. Yeah. The, the
0: key there is Thanksgiving. Right, uh, you right. know? Well,
2: I think he's going to you know Fred though, he's going to get there oh, early. Yeah. He's He'll get be there, there early. at 3: 15. <laughs> Shaw is back with us with hotair.com. Now he lives out east. What time would you get to the airport on a day before Thanksgiving? Jazz, what would your strategy be for that?
3: Oh, my strategy would be to stay home as I always do. <laughs>
2: that's better. Um, right? I
3: wouldn't be going to the airport at all. Yeah, I, don't I,
2: travel during Thanksgiving. Who does that? Right.
3: I, I haven't been on a plane since before the pandemic, man. Is that serious? Uh, that That's seriously wow. true. My, my office is in Virginia. I'm in an upstate New York. I haven't been to my office since before. I, I haven't been to my office since CPAC of 19 of uh twenty uh twenty. Wow.
2: Let's test yeah. the waters here. Have you left the house, Jazz, in the last, you know, two years <laughs> or so? Have you stepped outside?
3: Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I uh I, I walk the dog around the block. You know, I <laughs> I go to the doctor's office. No, I, I, I don't travel much. Uh the pandemic just reaffirmed what I always thought is like I, I don't really need to be out in public because public has just become wow. so much worse over the past couple of decades that I, I I don't like to see a lot of it.
2: Well, you know, there's a video, Sue, I don't know if you, I, I saw one on, on the Twitter here not too long ago. There's a video that's circulating today, Jazz, of a woman that was on a flight. It was like, it wasn't Southwest or one of the big airlines. might have been Frontier. And she was going nuts. She thought she was possessed and she was trying to climb across the seats and there were guys that were trying to, what? you know, keep her in place. It was crazy. Oh I I don't, you know, maybe you're smart, Jazz Shaw, to not be flying um, in the friendly skies. All right, you you have written about a bunch of different things that I want to talk about here this afternoon, and one of them is totally relatable to my family from this standpoint. Sue, um, my wife is, you know, she's busy, she's a professional, she does pay attention to the news, but mainly when I'm watching the news or something like that. So this morning, Jazz, she saw another one of these videos, they were rolling on Fox, of retail theft, where people went into, I think it was a Nike mm. store in Los Angeles, and they're just grabbing everything that they can't. Right. Now, you wrote about this today, about how this retail theft thing has kind of taken off. We've talked about it before, but there's a guy on CNN saying, you know what, this is all in your imagination.
3: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I did a profile on the guy and he, he actually wrote a book about eliminating policing as we know it, oh. because you don't really need that, <laughs> you know, and it's like, well. I don't think you live out in the real world because a lot of us see this in in real life every day. And you watch that video and and that that one guy in the video you're referencing, he doesn't even bother wearing a mask. Nobody, they don't care anymore. They just go and grab everything they want. They walk outside. If there's a cop out there, if they manage to somehow get arrested, they're gonna be out the next day. They'll be back, they'll be doing it again. And it's turned into a huge cartel business, really. Um, There's people out there that are running operations that just hire anybody willing to go rob stores and they buy their stuff cheap, resell to the profit. It's a big, excuse me, it's a big cultural shift, you know, and we no longer respect the idea that people are supposed to follow the law. Uh, Well, a lot of us do, but there's an increasing number of people who don't. And that makes it unsafe for everybody else to be able to go and live life as we used to live it. You know, you go, you buy things, you pay for them, and you leave, and there's a couple of people that steal, and they go to jail. Well, um, under the current leadership that we have in the country and a, a lot of the trends that we're seeing, that's no longer the case. This guy is a classic example, and apparently he's some sort of a, quote, thought leader. you know. And it's like, well, don't get so upset about up people stealing. Well, no, that's a big thing. You're breaking down the society that we all grew up with. That was my point.
2: Yeah, and I can't believe that there's a lot of people out there that want to give it a pass. Now, CNN, too, I guess I, I would question this, but I looked at the story. They did discuss that he is the author of a book called The End of Policing. So maybe people knew right. where he was coming from. But it, it really is. And I, I I feel like my wife's uh, example this morning is interesting to me from this standpoint. Jazz, we see this stuff all the time. Sue, we talk about it all the time. We're on Twitter. But there's a lot of people in this country, they don't see it. And it might not be covered, you know, on CBS this morning or something like, That. So I don't know how that manifests itself into an election year, but that whole retail theft issue. And I think we all remember when we would go into the Walgreens or the CVS and they'd have the razors behind the counter because people were stealing the razors and they were expensive. Well, now they have signs for toilet paper. Oh, yeah. Deodorant. Yeah. So I don't know where, I don't know how stores can survive, Jazz. I really don't. I mean, they build some of this, the losses are built in to a certain extent, but not when people are just grabbing armfuls of stuff on a daily basis. That's probably not going to work out mathematically, will it?
3: No, not really. And and again, it's a cultural change. Um, I, I did a separate article a little while back where there are stores where all the stuff that used to be on the shelves, there are no pictures of the things on the shelves. They have photos of them. And you have to go and ask a clerk to go get them for you. But... Even that, it's like, well, what if you're a looter, but you just walk in looking kind of normal and it's like, yeah, I need uh, some razors. And they're like, okay, I'm going to do like, and he's like 40. Well, what happens then? Do they get violent? I, I, I don't really know how that works, but also it, it breaks down the system of being able to go in, pick up the things you want, check out and leave. Now you have to wait a lot longer. It takes more people to do it. So even if you can cut down on some of the theft, you're probably cutting down the profits and cutting down on customer satisfaction. So I, I don't think the problem is coming at the ground level. It's coming from the very top level because you have, to disc- you have to have a disincentive to theft and illegal activity. And the more you remove that disincentive, the more of that activity you're going to get.
2: I'm not going to argue that that I, when I was a kid, I, I played by all the rules, you know, when I get into high school and college. But I never, I'd never shoplifted anything in my life. Now, the story from my childhood that I remember, my dad put the fear of God in us. But my sister took. They used to have these Brock's candy displays, you know, where you would kind of put the candy in a bag and weigh it. And maybe oh, yeah. still do, but these were at the grocery store. And my dad found out, as I remember it, this was back when you know we were kids in the Chicago area, jazz that my sister had taken, maybe if it was just one piece of candy or whatever it was, made her go back to the store, oh, yeah. apologize, and turn right, it back I mean, How often does that happen even anymore in families? Because it seems to be so acceptable. I think this happens a lot more, you know, I think it used to be fashionable with kids. Kids used to do it kind of as a as a fun thing. Well, even Winona Ryder did it for a while, but now it's to the point where you have gangs that are organized that go in, and on the Nike video in particular, that was organized. They went into a store, and they got back into cars or SUVs, and they drove off knowing that they weren't going to be tracked out. So what, what's the solution for that?
3: Um, there is one. The solution is it, it has to be top down. Um, it's not that we can't. We, we have video of so much of this stuff that happens. We have the ability of law enforcement, and today particularly, we have, you know, you have uh, facial recognition ID, things like that. You know, uh, these crimes could be tracked down, and in a few cases they are. Los Angeles, to their credit, and I don't say much good about Los Angeles, um they have set up a retail theft unit, uh, a fairly good sized one. Oh, and they have been making they've been making a number of busts, and they have identified large organized groups that are encouraging people to go out and do this, and they buy stuff from them cheaply that they steal, and then they sell it for a profit. Uh. And that that's a great business to get into if you're a criminal, because you need no training, you can just go in and rob places knowing you're not gonna get arrested. Well, if people start getting arrested again, that's gonna become a more expensive business to get into. And that's where the solution comes in. So I don't know, maybe we'll see it turn the corner. I hope, maybe.
2: Yeah, maybe. Uh, hmm. We'll hold out hope. Jazz Shaw from HotAir.com is with us this afternoon. A couple of things that you've written about that I did not know a lot uh, of information, and I want you to fill in the blanks here. So Israel has arrested a journalist that had been doing— was she doing some stringer work, or what was it for NBC News? But this was something that was heaping praise on Hamas, and then finally NBC said, oh, yeah, uh, we shouldn't have her on the payroll, right?
3: Right. Yeah, that she was only there briefly— Apparently. Um, but they were picked when the war broke out, all the networks, and we found people like this, who's for Moss, that were working with CNN and ABC and a couple other places. And she was one of them that NBC News picked up, and she did a couple pieces for them. But as soon as somebody started checking, somebody from Israel, uh, they started looking into her social media, and she was doing posts right after October 7th. Saying how glory it was, glorious it was that you know Hamas had gone in and taken their quote military action, you know ag- against the horrible uh, Israelis and things like that. And once that came out, yeah, they went and arrested her, and she was detained until yesterday, and she's got a trial coming up, and she's being charged for supporting terrorist organizations. And again, sort of to their credit. NBC claims they had no idea about her social media. You would think it just, day and age,
2: you would vet, you'd vet. be checking people right. posted media. Well, and then beyond that, you said in your story that there was, people found a YouTube video that she had posted where she claimed to have been sexually assaulted by an x-ray technician at a hospital in the West Bank who grabbed her breasts, but then when she tried to bring the matter forward, she was pressured by authorities to drop her complaint and undergo a mental health evaluation. So, Jazz, as you wrote, it's kind of hard to find out exactly what's going on with her. She may be a little unhinged overall, but you would think that NBC or other organizations wouldn't want to vet these people overseas.
3: Yeah, and, and if you saw that story, even if maybe she was right, I mean, bad things happen in hospitals, sure, you know, but yeah, you, you'd want to go check. And if somebody was sent for a mental health evaluation, maybe you don't put them on staff. That, that was all I was saying, you know, just give it a little more time, you know, check into it.
2: One of the other things that I wanted to talk to you about, just because this has been a bit of a theme, and I've I've mentioned this quite a bit on my show, especially over the last couple of years with um, what's going on with some of the trans stuff, and I've I've made it very clear, just because I have a lot of friends who are gay, older gays, you know, in their fifties, maybe sixties, that there is a big divide in the alphabet mafia between the LGBs and the rest of the. Alphabet, right? And you wrote about this, because there is there is a divide. I mean, it's a little quiet, I think, that, that most people would would think, but you cited Chadwick Moore, who, I like Chadwick, I follow him on Twitter, and he wrote a piece for the New York Post saying, look, it's time to decouple the T and the Q from the LGB, because they don't have a lot in common, do they, Jazz? No,
3: in, in a lot of areas, they don't, and much like you, I know everybody, I, I have been called one of the arch conservatives and things like that, and everybody immediately assumes... Oh, well, you must not like gay people. I, I will say right here, right on your show, my oldest, best friend is a lesbian. Okay? We, it, it's the friend that I've known the longest since I was very young. And I have no problem with gay people. And even back when all the, the rage was going on about gay marriage, I was one of the rare people in conservative media that was saying – Hey, I, you know th- this whole thing about gay marriage. Yeah, people should just be able to get married. Well, you and me both. By Things the way. like that.
2: I, and I've said before, I was I was before uh, came out way ahead of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. By the way, on that issue, me personally and privately, me because too. in the same situation, I have very good friends, and my best friend on the planet is also gay. So I took a different track on that. But this trans stuff is different, yeah. <laughs> and we we get called. No, it, it's it's totally different because gay people are real. That's what
3: I tried to say in the article. We've had gay people with us forever. They're in the Bible. You know, that, that's a real thing. Trans is not a real thing. It's, it was, until very recently, classified as a mental illness, as it should be, uh, as it traditionally was. You know, but now everybody's jumped on the bandwagon, and everybody's supposed to sign on to this. And if you don't, then you must hate the whole LGBTQ thing i i'm sorry lgbtq plus because there's probably 89 other letters you they want to put on there. there right exactly yeah, yeah just get it all in there otherwise you're in trouble but uh no i mean I, I think everybody can support you know good patriotic people whether they're gay straight bi, whatever you know but this whole trans thing has turned into this activist movement that's really doing damage to people particularly to women and there's an increasing number of feminists who are jumping on the camp, jumping on the bandwagon, like Riley Gaines and other people going, well, we don't want to come out and say too much bad about you, but we shouldn't have men competing against women in sports, you know, and boy, do they get crucified for even saying that. And it's disgraceful, man. It really is.
2: So I, I tweeted something out yesterday because we, we've got, you know, pretty serious issues in the city of St. Louis. And there was a, a tweet by our mayor, Deshara Jones-Jazz, that said, today is Trans Day of Remembrance. And we've had a lot of those days and seemingly more days than than veterans get. Um, but I said, my tweet was, we can't answer 911 calls or pick up trash. There's zero police presence from downtown. We've had two shootings in broad daylight two blocks from where I sit right now in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and where City Hall is located. But this is what we get from our leaders. What have we exactly learned? lost, because she said, let us continue building a St. Louis where we all feel welcome and talked about how we celebrate our trans friends and family we've lost. So I get several people, you know, get interactive on the uh, string, and there are people that are Here's one. Wow. You're a homophobic ass. My, my tweet has nothing to do with homo. I don't even know what transphobia. I'm not afraid of anyone. Right. I just think like you that it's not real and it's a mental illness. And we've had pretty good examples of that here in St. Louis with WashU U and Children's Hospital from a gay woman who's married to someone who's trans who exposed it in Jamie Reed. So there's a fair amount of credibility on our side of this issue, I'd say at this point, Jazz.
3: I think there's a lot of credibility and I think we made a mistake early on. I should just say I made a mistake early on. Uh, Go back to some of my early writings on this subject when it really started exploding. And I I tried to do my best and I said, you know what, whoever you are, you can call yourself what you want to, you know, and you, you can say I identify with this pronoun or that pronoun, you can call yourself a zebra, I don't care, you know, but just don't try to tell everyone else that they have to regulate their speech and that you have to have special privileges and things like that. Just be yourself. Well, that wasn't good enough because the people pushing this movement and it's not the gays and lesbians, it you know, it's really just this realistically very small subset in the country it really is so they're man. like no you all have to adopt our language and if you don't you're causing harm and we're going to pass laws and we're going to lock you up or or cancel you or do whatever. And that's when I realized, oh, we screwed up. Yep. We should not have let this slide.
2: Well, you live and learn, right? Jazz Shaw, I hope you get out of the house a little bit here in the next couple of days since you've indicated that you haven't traveled traveled much. But have a great Thanksgiving with the family, Jazz, and we'll talk soon. I appreciate you coming on here tonight.
3: You too, and thanks to you and all your listeners for having
2: me. Check out hotair.com today. Great site. Well, everyone is in holiday mode already. Let's face it. We don't want to work, right? I don't want to work. I want to sit on my couch and watch football and hang with my family and friends, but we're going to be here tomorrow. We'll have a little fun in the 4 o'clock hour for sure. Our friend George Gray, who is the voice with Drew Carey on The Price is Right. He's from St. Louis. He splits his time between uh, here and Hollywood and Arizona, and George has been really good to us. He uh, actually came to me a couple years ago and said, hey, Mark, how about if we do something when I'm in town, you know, visiting my mom? The Price is Wrong. So we do The Price is Wrong. We have a little fun with some Facebook Marketplace um, items, and we'll do that in the 4 o'clock hour tomorrow here on 97.1 FM Talk. I have an audio cut of the day coming up here in just a few minutes. Before that, Will sharp back with us, former federal prosecutor. He's running for Missouri attorney general. He's also a member of the Trump legal team, and he was in court yesterday before a U.S. appeals court to remove the gag order that's been imposed in one of those cases. Will, how are you? Welcome back to 97.1 FM Talk.
4: Doing great. Always great to uh, to join you guys. Thanks for having me on. Your ears were burning. I know I
2: sent you a message last week. I had uh, the opportunity to go out to dinner. Josh Hammer's been a great guest on my show for years, and I've never met him in person. He happened to be in St. Louis, and I guess you guys go back a little ways as well. It's great to see uh, Josh in person last week.
4: Yeah, you know, Josh and I have been friends for a long time. He's a, a great conservative voice on you know on, on the media, in print, just about everywhere uh he and i also co-founded a group called Jews Against Soros earlier this year uh which was an effort to fight back against the idea that opposing George Soros uh for all the evil that he does in the world is somehow anti-semitic so we had a lot of fun with that but uh just m- more more importantly Josh has just been an incredible friend and uh a great supporter over the years. So I was was glad that you guys had the chance to connect.
2: Well, I like him because he's a, he's a great thinking conservative and um, you know, I I appreciate that. I appreciate that with you as well. Tell me about what happened in court yesterday. I have a little audio here from the judge and um, John Sauer. And let me see if I get the teams right. Was John on your legal team on the side of president Trump?
4: Yeah, John argued the case for us in, in court yesterday in the D.C. circuit. So give me some background, and then I'll play a little of the
2: audio, and I might have you kind of break that down a little bit. But how, how did you guys approach this? What was the issue at stake?
4: So what happened here in the, the D.C. federal prosecution against President Trump, uh, this is over election-related issues uh, after the 2020 election. Um, the judge there, Tanya Chutkin, imposed a gag order on President Trump Uh, which we believe is an unconstitutional prior restraint on core political speech. Uh, We think it was unconstitutional uh, because it was too vague. I mean, there were about seven different things that that we laid out. Uh, But in short, this gag order was a a blatant violation of President Trump's core First Amendment rights. Uh, So we challenged the gag order in front of the district court. Uh, The district court denied us the relief that we sought. So we appealed up to the D.C. Circuit which is just one step below the, the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, we drew a panel that was three Democrat-appointed judges, uh, but if you've listened to the, the, uh, the full oral arguments from, from yesterday, uh, what really came out was that even they were, were deeply uncomfortable uh, with the scope of this gag order. They pressed the, the government's attorney, Cecil Vandevender, very hard uh, in terms of justifying just how broad this gag order was on how it could really negatively impact President Trump's ability uh, to campaign for president, uh, which is, of course, his First Amendment right. Uh, So John argued the case for us. He was supposed to argue for about 20 minutes. Uh, These three judges kept him up there for closer to two hours. Uh, It was really something that I haven't seen in, in an appellate court argument before. I think John acquitted himself very well, and we're confident uh, that we'll get a we'll get a good order out of the D.C. Circuit.
2: Let me play this audio, and then you you can explain it afterward. This is one of the questions from the judge. One of the judges, Pat Millett.
0: Let's assume uh, former Vice President Mike Pence is going to testify, and it's the night before his testimony. Um, Could the defendant tweet out, "Mike P- Pence can still fix this"? Mike Pence can still do the right thing if he says the right stuff tomorrow. First of all, is that communicating with the witness? If it's just broadcasting a statement
2: of core political speech on social media, likely not. How would you explain that exchange uh, further, Will?
4: So the judges were pushing at this issue of when uh, First Amendment protected political speech can turn into uh, something like jury tampering or witness tampering. Uh, they pressed John with hypothetical after hypothetical after hypothetical. Uh, the point that John kept coming back to, uh, which is the, the correct point in my view, uh, is that the, the First Amendment guarantees President Trump uh, his his core political speech rights. No court in American history uh, has ever imposed a gag order like this on a candidate for public office. Uh, the core of the First Amendment is is prior restraints on political speech, is saying that a, a political actor can't uh, say something political uh, before they even say it, and that's what this gag order does. Uh, so it was an interesting hypothetical. There were many, many more. What if President Trump says this? What if President Trump says that? Uh, our view, though, is that this gag order, as as worded as stated, uh, was so wildly overbroad and so violative of the First Amendment. Uh, that I think no no court in good conscience uh, will let it stand as written.
2: So it, when is the ruling expected? I mean, you, you would expect something relatively quickly.
4: Or you're going to anticipate something, right? So the D.C. Circuit uh, stayed the gag order, uh, stayed its implementation while they considered this matter. They made us brief this on an incredibly tight time frame, uh, you know, just a couple weeks, whereas these cases can normally drag on for months. Uh, we expect an order pretty quickly, but in the meantime— uh importantly president trump's first amendment rights are not being violated the gag order is not in effect uh but i would expect to see an order you know really any time maybe as soon as as monday or tuesday is it
2: an all or nothing proposition in other words is there some room for the court to rule in a way that gives more specific guidelines than either there's a gag order or there's not a gag order does that make sense that question
4: Yeah, they could strike down the gag order in its entirety. Uh, They could uh, strike down parts of it or try to limit it and and remand it back to the district court uh, for her to issue a new gag order in in light of their order. Uh, We obviously have an option of appealing this up to the Supreme Court of of filing for a writ of certiorari and attempting to have the Supreme Court get involved. Uh, This court, you know, we've got some outstanding conservative justices on it. Uh, Justices who are particularly committed to the First Amendment. Uh, And I think we would uh, we would we would have options there if whatever result we get out of the D.C. Circuit uh, doesn't protect President Trump's core First Amendment rights.
2: Yeah, this isn't, you know, a lot of these issues are like this, you know, because you you fight on legal grounds all the time. But this seems to me one of those issues that it shouldn't matter what side of politics you're on. And maybe the the court yesterday understands that from the questions that they asked and from your anticipation that they that they feel that this goes too far. Because just just hearing the way that you break it down and obviously the government would have a different position on this makes no sense to have that level of a gag order.
4: Well, the, the government was at one point, Cecil Vandevender said that President Trump can't call potential witnesses liars uh, because that could prejudice a jury as to their credibility, but he could call them untruth tellers. Uh, I mean, that's the fine line that they were trying to draw. Uh, but as you said, this really does cut across political, uh, political divides. And Before the district court, the ACLU, which is obviously an organization that is no friend of President Trump, uh, filed an amicus, uh, an amicus brief, wow. uh, essentially supporting our position, saying that, you know, no, a court can't just uh, run roughshod over the First Amendment and, and attempt to curtail political speech in such a radical way.
2: That's fascinating. And I like that when, when things like that happen, when you're you're trying to address real issues, that might be helpful. All right, Will, that's a great update on this, because I think there was a little confusion. But you're hoping, sounds to me like you could have a ruling maybe by early next week, right after Thanksgiving.
4: Yeah, you know, I think it'll come quickly, and and as I said, in the meantime, the the circuit court stay is in effect, and President Trump isn't bound by this gag order. So uh, we're looking forward to seeing what the what the D.C. Circuit comes down with, and then we'll obviously assess our options going forward. Does this uh, but would, the, would
2: this then potentially set a precedent in in the? Um, In the way that since there's so many, let's face it, he's facing a lot of different states, and a lot of different courts. But would would another potential gag order then be thwarted by this ruling or because it might be a different type of gag order, then you'd have to go at it again?
4: So there's actually there's been another gag order imposed against President Trump in the civil action currently pending in New York courts that was brought against him by Attorney General Letitia James in New York. Uh, that gag order has actually also been stayed by the appellate division of the New York courts. Uh, so time and time again now, we've seen these courts attempt to restrict uh, President Trump's core political speech. And time and time again, uh, these orders uh, seem to be going up on appeal and facing uh, much more skeptical appellate judges who who I think really understand Uh, what's at stake here and what's at stake is is the very core of the first amendment
2: that's will scharf who uh argued on the part of president trump yesterday in dc he's running for missouri attorney general will it's always great to have some analysis from you legal analysis on the show i appreciate you have a great thanksgiving and let us know how this turns out maybe we'll hear next week
4: likewise mark thanks so much for
2: having me take care audio cut of the day coming up next well, we'll be here tomorrow, taking into the uh, the holiday weekend. We're going to lighten things up, especially the four and the five o'clock hour. So we got George Gray coming in the studio. Oh, great! From The Price Is Right. Last, when he was with us last, he was just heading back to Hollywood to um, to do The Price Is Right in a new studio. Remember, they moved from the old studio. So we'll find out oh, how that's okay. all going. He's in town to visit Mama May. George is awesome to us, and he came up with this idea of a game called The Price Is Wrong, Mark. And we're going to do that in the four o'clock hour tomorrow. Also, Chris Gervino, my friend from the uh, Mizzou Tiger Radio Network. We'll get a little preview of the Arkansas game on Friday, take a look at the bull picture, and we'll talk some Mizzou basketball as well. I have a bit of an audio dump to do here with a bunch of stuff, so let me get to
1: it. Now, the audio cut of the day.
2: The only thing I can say, Sue, as the audio cut of the day is sponsored by my friends at the Good Feet Store, where it's all about comfort, performance, energy, and pain relief, is that I am doing some very poor show management with with my topics and my audio because there's so much what? stuff oh. lately there's a lot of things to get to yeah. so i'm just going to kind of roll through some of it that i think is pretty important that we haven't gotten to here this afternoon emily Campagno from fox for example listen to this new dhs orders obtained by the heritage foundation instruct agents to quote ask individuals about their preferred pronouns they suggest asking quote i would like to be respectful what name and pronoun would you like me to use addressing you? Or ask, can you please confirm your pronouns or gender identity? The memo also tells agents not to use pronouns like he and she and Mr. and ma'am until they are sure of how that person would like to be Address Government priorities, Sue. Government yeah, that's priorities. Important. There you go. Here's some more for you. This is Kathy Hochul. She's the governor of New York. This is her. Think about all the things happening in New York, right? They're defunding the cops right now in New York City because no they sense. can't afford the immigrants. And here's what she wants to do. Today,
0: I'm directing the director of Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services to develop media literacy tools for K-12 <laughs> in our public schools. <laughs> This will teach students and even teachers to help understand how to spot conspiracy theories and misinformation, disinformation, and online hate.
2: I just spit Diet Coke through my nose. Are you kidding me? That, that she? I, I don't even know what to say about that. Right. Okay, Kathy Hochul, good luck with that. Here's Morning Joe this morning, declaring Trump a danger to all things and human survival. And shilling for him and
3: suggesting that somehow they're being biased, bending over backwards, treating him like a normal candidate. He's not a normal candidate. He is running to end American democracy as we know
2: it. Yeah, he's running to end. I cut that off a little bit. He's running to end democracy as we know it. He's an authoritarian who a a court uh, in, in Colorado two days ago ruled. That, that he led an insurrection against the
3: United States government. He's charged with leading schemes to help overthrow
2: the United States government. And they're just unhinged. You know, every time they do that on MSNBC, I think they uh, help Trump in the polls, especially lately. I mean, uh, Biden, I don't know what's going to, you know. You know what well, didn't help? His 81st birthday. No, it, especially even the pictures that emerged. That's what with I With mean. the cake, yes. which it looked like it was not just a cake. It, it was like it was a big fire, fire right? Yes. But. It'll be interesting. I don't think this is going to happen, but let me just say this. wonder if you get together during Thanksgiving, the grandkids and the kids, and Dr. Jill says, you know, Joe, we don't need this stress. Let Kamala take it from here. The country's going to Wouldn't be so be much great. better off. Wouldn't that
0: be great? That'd be the end of that.
2: One more part of my audio cut of the day. You know, John Lovitz used to be on Love SNL. It. Is SNL funny anymore? No, it's not. In fact, I can prove that because I actually watched it a little bit in the last couple of weeks, sadly, and there was nothing funny about it at all. But here's John Lovitz on that topic.
0: I don't like it. They were comedy shows. And now, except for Jimmy Fallon, they've all become very political. It's too much. I mean, Johnny Carson would, he would do, I you know, he would do two or three jokes.
2: All right. I correct myself here. He's talking about SNL and he's talking also about the late night comedy shows, which is relatable as well. Kimmel and Colbert.
0: About whoever was president then or what was going on then. And that was it, you know, but they were entertainment shows. I know all those guys and they're very nice guys. very talented. I know Seth, I know Stephen Colbert. I know Jimmy Kimmel. I think they're funny, you know, but when they start doing the political stuff, like so one-sided, that's not, that's not the shows that I used to go on. You know, if I want the news, I'll watch the news. I'm not watching those shows. They're late night entertainment, but it's not, it's all political. And they just hammer it to death. You know, it's for me and they've become, here's my political agenda. They're very open about it. And I'm like, well, all right. I I have no saying that it's their show. You know, but I don't particularly I, I don't like that they've become that.
2: You know' it's, it is yeah, their show. It's Colbert in particular has had somewhat after a real slow start when he took over that show, he's had success because he kind of carved out a niche for himself with mm. the politics, but I can't watch it anymore. even Fallon, it, they're just not worth watching. Yep Sue. Have a great night. thank you. We're going to have fun tomorrow with George Gray. Love it. We're going to talk a little Mizzou. We're going to have an audio cut of the day tomorrow. I'm going to make sure I don't save all my audio for the last segment. It's going to be magical. Have a great night. We'll talk then.
1: Get more at 971talk.com.